Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast, hosted by myself, Glenn Fairburn, and my colleague, Nathan Lear. We're brought to you by Hewlson Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Um, the objective of our podcast, as we've spoken about many times, is to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. So this week, we're actually going to be talking about private equity, have a bit of discussion about firstly what it is, what its advantages and disadvantages are, and perhaps why you should consider it forming part of your portfolio. Um, just remember this discussion is of a general nature, so please seek uh, financial advice before taking any action. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode. Uh, Glenn, today we'll have a chat about private equity. So private equity is a little bit lesser known to, to many investors. Most people that invest in uh, companies anyway will focus on companies that are listed on a, on a major stock exchange such as the Australian Stock Exchange or the Dow Jones, for example, over in the US. However, private equity is a, is a way you can access effectively unlisted businesses. Um, quite, many people think that private equity investing does offer many advantages that that public markets cannot offer. So, Glenn, I might throw to you just to uh, give me a quick summary of you know your understanding of private equity, and and maybe we'll then talk about some of the benefits that it can offer. Yeah, I suppose when people think about if, if we're focusing on equity investment, so owning a part of a company, um, a lot a lot of people people are probably more familiar with the the public market. So, effectively, shares in companies that are listed on an exchange, as you were saying, the whether it's the ASX two hundred or or the Dow Jones. Um, and probably not as knowledgeable about the opportunity to, to invest in privately listed companies. And, and I think that perhaps comes with a, bit, a little bit of a mindset that when people think about investing in unlisted companies or privately owned companies, that their immediate understanding or perception is that it's higher risk. But that's not always the case, is it? Because I suppose aside from the higher risk, maybe people think that private companies are small um, or in that startup type phase, which they can be, um, but there's numerous examples where there's quite large companies that are privately owned that can provide great opportunities for investors, isn't there? That, that's right. They can be massive companies and it just depends on what part of the cycle, I suppose, a, a private equity investor may participate in that company investment. Uh, Glenn, so what, some of the, I'll kick off with maybe one to start the, the benefits of private equity and Probably the main thing I would I would say to a client if they were looking to invest in private equity is the probably the the reduced volatility and, and what I mean by that is uh, generally publicly listed markets can be quite volatile. We've uh, we we saw the GFC global financial crisis some some ten or so years ago where the where public public equity markets globally fell around fifty percent from high to low over the course of around a year or so. Um, Private equity markets or unlisted companies basically are not subject to that volatility because th- there isn't really a, a secondary market as big as the as the public market. So, and what I mean by that is, if you own shares in a in a listed company and you panic with the rest of the market, you'll sell it. It can be significantly priced down. But that private equity investment, which is perhaps more tightly held. Um, generally that's going to be valued based on its earnings. So there's not going to be buyers and sellers every second of every day readjusting the price. So 
I think from I mean we we deal with with one or two specific funds for our clients, but I think the the fund that we deal with from high to low throughout the GFC around ten years ago, I think they fell around. I think my figures were around maybe seven seven to ten percent was the the highest amount they fell from high to low. Where the GFC or sorry the publicly listed companies were around fifty percent. So that's probably the one of the key things I'd say reduce volatility. Yeah, and uh, Nathan, I suppose. You know, as we've spoken about a number of times, unfortunately, when you look at listed companies or listed investments, the the valuation of those investments in the short term is quite often driven by that fear, greed, anxiety. And as you were saying, during the GFC, um, company share prices on average, you know, if you look at the markets, fell up to 50%. 50%. But the impact on the global financial crisis on earnings wasn't at the same level, was it? So it was really... I suppose investors overreacting to what they thought may happen, um, but the I suppose the, the share price of a company doesn't necessarily, or the movement of that share price doesn't necessarily correlate with the earnings, as you were saying, and that's why private equity um, isn't as volatile because a company is valued on base based on what its earnings, what its profits are, um, what perhaps multiples of earnings are used to value businesses. So there's no sort of market forces in there really at all, is there? There's no sort of people getting fearful and selling shares because they think what might happen. It's really driven by the pure business fundamentals, isn't it? That's right. And and, and for anyone that's a small business owner out there, think about your business. Are you going to revalue it every second of every day? No. You probably sit down maybe once a year and look at the earnings of the business. And if you did want to apply a value to it, which you may or may not need to do, you might do that once a year. Yeah. And also during a crisis, people just sell everything. I mean, there, there, there were situations, um, not so much during the GFC, but for example, Brexit, where the market fell quite rapidly over a short period of time, like, um, not, not subscribing that would buy shares in this company, but for example, Woolworth's share price may have fallen just because everything else was fallen, but fundamentally, does the Brexit have an impact on a company's like Woolworth's earnings? Probably not, but it's just the, the reaction that the market has overall that can drive the valuation down on a particular investment even though the fundamentals probably haven't changed so yeah i agree i mean that's probably one of the major advantages of private equities that you're not your the valuation of your investment isn't driven by short-term market forces what, what other advantages glenn would you say that private equity can offer to investors oh look i think it in particular if you look at markets worldwide probably more so within australia listed our market the asx 200 is very heavily weighted towards financials mining companies um, but as we all know there's there's numerous companies around Australia that aren't involved in those two industries so arguably by accessing private companies there's an opportunity to perhaps invest in a broader range of sectors and industries um, so I suppose that from a purely diversification perspective gives you more of an opportunity to access markets that you may not be able to um, by going directly into the equity market. Yeah, de- definitely diversification and a much bigger universe, without doubt. The, the the publicly listed markets. I think you've got some stats, Glenn. We'll talk about in a moment, but uh, definitely a bigger universe. And and look, returns are uh, can be difficult to to uh, predict going forward, and even looking back, depending on how you how you're measuring it. But I, I know quite of the studies that that you see published show that the return of private equity. Uh, investments versus versus listed markets has been has been stronger. Yeah. So you could argue that um, you know high potentially higher performance with, with with lower volatility. And is that is that performance? Do you think that's mainly driven by the fact that 
investors are prepared to pay a premium for a listed investment. So, for, you know, potentially buying a company that's on a listed exchange because it's listed and it has that liquidity where if you want to exit it, you can very quickly. Um, arguably, companies on a listed exchange are more expensive. So perhaps the returns aren't as great from that. Do you think that's mainly what that's driven by? Yeah, poss- possibly. I think that's a fair point because uh, yeah, list, list, listed investments will generally trade on trade on higher multiples. So you look at the mm. uh, the, the the valuation techniques of a of a company. If it's if you take a listed company and you compare that to the same business that might be unlisted, its valuation yeah. Yeah. will always be more expensive because of that liquidity component. I think because of the liquidity premium. Yeah. You basically you're, you're yeah. prepared to pay more for something because you know that if you need to, you can sell out of it versus an unlisted company um, because if you buy a certain share of an unlisted company, it's very hard to exit that unless you find another buyer. So it's, you know, it probably is um, a little bit cheaper from that perspective as well. Mm. And and something we were saying earlier or before we started the podcast is that, I mean, if you think about how many great businesses out there that, that are unlisted and uh, just to, you know, just to name a few, I think I said earlier, I- Ikea, Think of a that's a great yeah. business that's not listed. I think you mentioned uh, Aldi. I think yeah, previously Aldi's unlisted. Visi more locally in Australia, sort of a fairly well known privately owned mm. business. And, and we're not saying that you can go and invest in these businesses because they yeah. could be tightly family owned, owned family so owned. But it, it just shows that not all the best companies in the world are, are listed on share markets. And, and also, I think the other thing that it shows, as I mentioned earlier, is they're not all small companies. And I think you know quite often, as I mentioned earlier private equity is viewed as higher risk because the perception is that these are smaller companies. Mm. And But as you were saying, there's massive companies mm. here that are probably quite a bit larger than a lot of listed companies. So it's not just yeah, the small right. companies that um, are privately owned. And many, many great listed companies today often, or, or they may start as private equity businesses. And uh, I mean, a couple of prime examples are uh, Google, uh, Twitter, Starbucks, companies like this that are listed now they may have started as private equity. Well, obviously, they'd start probably with an idea, but as um, as people, uh, they, they raised equity and they might have gathered investors along the way, they they start as private equity and then they move through the life cycle and may may eventually be listed. Just just to expand on what I was saying earlier about the opportunity in private equity, just, just looking at some stats, just, just doing a little bit of research, um, the number of listed stocks in the US has actually fallen by about 50% over the past 20 years. Um, and, and that trend has sort of carried through in countries like Germany, Brazil, a lot of other public markets. Um, and I suppose one of the main reasons for that is merger and acquisition type activity, um, but also the emergence of private equity funds. Um, and I suppose that's something that be, has become a lot more uh, popular in, in more recent years. But in addition to those private equity funds, there's also been, you know, I suppose a, a fairly rapid movement or, or emergence of um, like pension funds, in, um, overseas sovereign wealth funds, um, which are becoming very, very powerful and have massive amounts of money to invest. Um, I, I was just looking at some stats here with the, the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund, which is one of the largest in the world, has has um, assets under management of about 800 billion. Now, at the moment, they only invest in, um, so 40% in bonds, 60% in public equity. So they don't invest in, in private equity, this particular um, fund. Um, but because they're so large, 
um, any movement that they make within their portfolio, like 1%, effectively what it results in is in them having up to 5% ownership, owning 5% of, the, of, of a whole company. So that can move markets quite considerably just because they're driven into public markets. But but I think, I suppose, one of the key things to bear in mind just with those stats as to the number of, of listings, arguably the opportunity on public markets has diminished because of merger and acquisition activity um, and also takeovers from private equity firms. So I suppose you just question whether there's the opportunity longer term or the same opportunities in what there have been in the past in, in public markets just through the number of, well, as I said, almost halving the number of listed companies in the US over the last 20 years. Yeah, so there's less there's less listed companies to invest in and probably more appetite or more money to, that needs to find a home. Uh, and just a couple of other benefits in terms of potentially private equity investing is uh, quite, quite often when a private equity uh, fund or organization, whatever you want to call it, takes a stake in a, in a private company, they'll often take a, a, a controlling stake, so the majority sta- stake, um, and also they'll, they'll often you know, put people uh, or, or you know, maybe take a board position, so they will have a controlling interest. So you know, generally speaking, you know, that'll, you'd like to think that will improve the, the, the performance of that business and really when they get, in, get into the business and take a meaningful position, um, really the end goal that they're trying to do is to improve, improve earnings improve the earnings of that business. So down the track in however many years when they may look to exit the, that, that investment, um, they've increased the, the, the multiple and the, the value of the business. And which leads into another point around the, the, the long-term focus. And I think this is quite important because many listed companies are very short-term focused. Uh, and what I mean yeah. by that is if, because if of that CEO, public scrutiny, isn't it? Yeah, the public, like, kind of like politicians, but if the CEO is elected, they've got, you know, maybe, who knows, pressure on them to perform. So they're going to do things that are going to give them the quick wins where private equity that, that don't, like you said, don't have that public uh, public scrutiny, you know, might might do what's best for the, for the long-term value of the business. Yeah. Mm. And, and look, that, that's a good segue into just another bit of information that I was going to talk about is that companies are now stay, staying private longer. And I think a lot of that does come as a result of that excessive scrutiny when you are a public company where you know your results, your share price is really driven by that short-term performance mm. that you don't have that same issue as a privately held company. Um, and the average time from the first venture investment, so the first time they've actually raised capital um, to the point where they list has actually grown from around, on average five years in 2006 to over eight years in 2016. So what that basically means is that companies are staying private on average three years longer um, than what they were um, back in 2006. And I think a lot of that's got to do with that scrutiny and and, and not not wanting to be driven by the short term um, demands of you know investors or, or fund managers. Yeah, and also maybe they're staying they're staying private for longer due to the opportunity costs. So if they, you know, if you exit a business, you re, you do need to redeploy that that capital. And for example, we, we spoke about publicly uh, listed companies. If the value is not there, why would a why would a manager want to sell out of that investment if it's a if it's a good performing investment and there's less opportunities available? Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose just, just one other thing to close off on, I suppose the advantages of private equity from, from my perspective, I think it's, it's um, 
or, or even the reason why the, there's opportunity in private equity um, is really driven by the fact that in the past, companies were driven to the public market to raise finance. That was probably the, you know, one of the not easiest ways, but one of the more beneficial ways for them to access capital. Whereas now, as I was saying, with the emergence of well, one private equity funds, um, endowment funds, um, pension funds, and, and also sovereign wealth funds, there's a plethora of fa- of, of cash available that they can use or, or, or draw on to grow their business without having to worry about going to public markets. So just another um, point there as to why companies, well, good quality companies are staying private and why private equity investing provides a, a number of good opportunities to access you know, some quite good quality companies. That's right. So we've, we've spoken about uh, quite, a, quite a lot of benefits that private equity investing can offer. Uh, what would you say are some of the, the detractors or negatives Look, I think the main detractor when you're looking at private equity um, is really the illiquid nature of the investment. So quite often when you're investing in private equity, um, your funds could be locked away for five, six, seven years plus and, and there has been instances where it's, you know, um, it could be closed off for up to 10 years. Um, because you are investing in an unlisted business, it's very difficult to sell out of that interest unless you find another buyer. So I'd say probably that's one of the, the major um, disadvantages of, of private equity. Um, would, would would that be your sort of argument there as to, as to a disadvantage? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that'd definitely be the, the probably the first one that come to mind for me. Um, you're not investing directly into a... In, oh, you may be, but just depending on how it's structured, you may not be investing directly into a company. So you might, you might have less control if you're just to... Let's say if you invest in a private equity fund and there's hundreds or even thousands of investors in that um of company investments in that fund you, you maybe have a lot less control over yeah. certain things so which kind of is a very similar point to what to what you just made um any other negatives that you can think of or is that Look, that's probably the main one i suppose yeah. the other one is that i know we, we've spoken about the diverse nature of private companies that are not all necessarily small but i suppose through through our experience generally speaking um, private equity doesn't provide the same level of income, perhaps as a as a listed investment. It's, you know, obviously it varies from from investment to investment, but um, generally you probably don't get the same level of income distribution from a privately held company as what mm. you would do from a listed investment. So yep. you're not investing in private equity for income. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. Yep, yep, definitely. That's a that's a fair point. Um, I might just mention. I think we touched on earlier. Investing in private equity, you can do it at different phases. So you can, just to go through a couple of those, just for if people are wondering how that works um, in terms of the life cycle phase, um, the, the initial way you can invest in, in a company is what's called the either seed or early stage investing where uh, you know, really you can, get, you can get in there from the ground, ground up. So that could be an idea. Um, and you know you often hear about all the great businesses out there today like think of an airbnb for example or a netflix or something like that where um, I'm, I'm sure there would have been seed investors um, so i suppose you can get that opportunity to get in there very early um, and then another another common common term is venture capital which is uh, probably a little bit further along the life cycle where you might be able to take a um, you know a, a stake in in a business um and then, yeah, there's other, there is other phases, but they're probably the couple that I just thought I'd mention. And, you know, we, we used a few examples before where, you know, you, there might be a private equity business that could be 
like an IKEA, for example, which is probably bigger than a hell of a lot of companies well, yeah, listed. Exactly. Yeah. And, and look, I suppose just just closing off on the advantages of uh, what is final point on, on the advantages of, of of private equity. I think it, as we've spoken about quite a lot on this podcast, um, just diversification in general. Um, and we, we've spoken about how advantageous it can be to have a diverse portfolio where you've got exposure to a number of different asset classes um, and arguably private equity well it can be some people sort of view it as an alternative type of investment others it can it can sort of form part of equity investment um, but I think we, we would always recommend that um, an exposure or a portfolio with exposure to a number of different asset classes really just provides a smoother return over time um, but also the opportunity to invest in a number of different asset classes and benefit from all the advantages that, that they may provide. Um, I mean, in, I, I know that we do, I suppose, subscribe to the you know, very more, more bespoke portfolios and, and designing it towards a client-specific objective, but generally how much would people be looking at investing in private equity within their portfolios? What, what, would, what would your sort of comments be around that? I think that's uh, yeah that that is difficult to answer because I mean we we I think you mentioned earlier some of the the big pension funds or even the you know the future fund in Australia uh, I know they've got very small exposures to to listed companies I think the future fund is very low like to listed companies to yeah. listed companies like maybe five percent or something like yeah. that so so I have no doubt they'd have a, a much higher exposure to and you think that's because they're so big that if they have too much of an exposure to list, listed markets they can just move the market too much possibly a little bit that but i mean they could still invest in you know billion dollar listed companies and take a meaningful stake i would have thought without moving it um so maybe it's more of a strategic view i'm not too sure but um look i think it really depends but in terms of how we do it we we definitely like to uh in terms of the the client's international equity exposure we definitely like to add some private equity exposure for the all of the benefits that we've spoken about today. How much? Mm, I'm kind of con- cautious to give an exact figure because I think it yeah. really depends on... Yeah, look, it does, yeah. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure if you It depends on the client. Look, I mean, just as, as, a, as a ballpark figure, I, I would say that, um, and once again, it's, it, it's, it's hard to say, but probably between 5 and 10% maybe of your, of your equity exposure. Um, but once again, it really comes down to your specific objectives. If you need access to to capital then private equity is probably not where you want to be investing your money whereas if you if you're in a situation or if you need more income but if you're in a situation where you've got adequate liquidity you can take a longer term view with investment then i think we've spoken about the opportunity that private equity provides but in the end it comes down to what are your objectives um and also what you're trying to achieve over a long period of time but ultimately just constructing a portfolio that's diverse so obviously we've spoken about a number of benefits, a number of disadvantages of, of, of private equity, but like any asset class, you, you can't go too aggressive into any one asset class because there are risks. Um, and depending on what sort of fund you're investing in, if it's only got a, a you know a handful of companies, and the risk of that fund can be quite high, mm. uh, even though it is obviously private equity, versus a fund that that you were mentioning earlier that's can have up to a thousand companies arguably is viewed as, as lower risk so it's just a matter of understanding because every private equity fund is very different um so you can't it's not sort of the one size fits all you can't just um apply the same sort of logic to all of those funds because they do have 
different investment strategies and different policies. So I think you've just got to go in with eyes wide open, understand what funds you're investing in. Um, but as you know, the objective of this podcast is just to educate people so they become aware of it and perhaps ask their advisors about it, look in their super funds to see what sort of exposure they've got and just understand what they're investing in. Yeah, Glenn, which kind of leads into what the last question I was going to ask you. For our listeners, would you offer any advice in terms of how someone may may gain access to a private equity investment? Because it is it is a little bit different. It's not you can't just go on the Australian stock exchange necessarily and go and buy private equity. It's a bit it's a bit different. So, any yeah, advice you would offer? It, it is different, and there's a number of different avenues to access it. I mean, you actually can invest in private equity through the stock exchange, but it's through a, a, an exchange traded fund. So there are funds that invest in private equity that you can access through the, the equity market. Um, and are you, are you talking about a which, which I know has like been a on listed the, investment company un, or a, well I know it's been on the news lately, but like a like Blue Sky, I, I think that would would that classify as uh, was that listed? Equity? Was Blue Sky yeah, listed? Yeah, on the listed yeah, listed. Yeah, so similar. So I mean, yeah. I suppose in the last couple of years there's been an emergence in the past when you wanted to invest in a unitized fund or a managed fund, you'd have to do that off market. So via an application, you fill an application, send it to the fund manager and invest your money. However, there has been an emergence of um, actively, managed, man, actively managed funds on the stock exchange. So instead of having to fill in an application and send away that to the fund manager, you can access those funds direct through the exchange. So Magellan launched their um, exchange trader fund a couple of years ago. So there's opportunities where you can invest in managed funds on the listed market yeah but there is i know there is a handful on i don't think they're active etfs like you're just talking about but i know i think there's a handful of pro- listed private equity yes funds on the yep. australian stock exchange i know i know blue sky is one which has suffered significant falls over the last uh, couple of weeks i think some 50 percent yeah um, i know there's a handful of other ones but yeah, so I suppose that is one way you can access it or... You need to do a lot of research because there's yeah. so many... Because we're not just talking about funds that are managed out of Australia. I mean, there's funds all over the world. Yeah, a lot of them are it's global. Huge. So I think I think like any any investment, do, do your research. And as you mentioned earlier, um, this is something if you do have an advisor, you could speak to your advisor I so, about. Because I mean, it's more likely that the advisor will have access to um, research. So research mm. providers who are doing the due diligence, researching the funds and hopefully... Um, providing information to make to enable you to make a more informed decision so it is a very broad market that you really need to understand and as i said earlier i mean it's it, it's a it's a market that um, can be quite diverse as well there might be funds with lesser amount of companies there might be funds with more companies um, different stages of their development as well so you really need to understand it so so glenn i think that was a, a good conversation but just to to wrap up what we spoke about today uh, private equity can be a different way for investors to to gain access to to companies um, that are that are unlisted in nature, so not on private or uh, sorry that, that are not on public publicly listed markets. Um, we spoke about some of the the benefits, and just to quickly summarise, a couple of those are perhaps greater diversification, lower volatility, access to more companies, perhaps better returns. Um, and we also spoke about some of the, the negatives. We didn't speak about too many, but uh, the, the main one's probably the, the, the illiquid nature of private equity investing. If you, if you need access to your capital quickly, it's a bit harder. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Um, we love, love having you listen every week and hope to have you again next week. Thank you. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, please remember to check out Hewison Private Wealth's website, which is www.hewison.com.au. You can also find more about us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, please also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, review, rate, and comment. Um, and as always, please feel free to reach out to us on our email, which is moneymentors at hewlson.com.au. Look forward to chatting again to you all next week.